0: Hey everybody, my name is Eric Arnault, and welcome to part two of the Nerdalogs present Your Stories April podcast. This time we're going to hear from podcast favorite Andrew Bentley on his favorite fictional guilty pleasure, writer Mike Galladay and myself with two tales of crazy nerd customers, accountant John Lester on working amongst the cool kids, med student Ruchi on her first sexual experience, and lessons for Avery's Sean Boyle on shaping identity. Plus, enjoy music from myself and Dwight Hassler, as well as a bonus song from the Relux Troop member, Steve Persch. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, get to the Upstairs Gallery tonight, that's Sunday, April 15th, uh, at 7pm for the next live Your Stories recording. If you missed it, the next one is Sunday, May 20th, same bat time, same bat location. Uh, as always, the Your Stories shows are free, and they're BYOB. And if you need the info, that's upstairs gallery in Andersonville, uh, 5219 North Clark Street, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, so here's where I put the friendly reminder that if you like our show, you can toss a few bucks our way on PayPal to help cover, you know, web hosting and whatever, uh, using the donate button on our website, which is at yourstories.podbean.com. But either way, thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy.
1: Fingers.
0: Never seen him fall. That deaf, dumb, and blind kid. That was live awesome. only. <laughs> that was probably live only. That probably won't make it to the podcast. So Enjoy that. <laughs> Why, <laughs> Why not? Uh, Coming up next, last month, this fellow regaled us with some excellent metal songs, despite his opinion of them. Uh, this month, no songs, unfortunately. Andrew Bentley. You
2: uh, yeah, no, no singing this time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, I'm sorry. Tell me about the
0: family opera. <laughs> Did he have the right idea?
2: I, I can yeah. never come back. It's driven me away forever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Guilty pleasures are the currency of our age. I'm no stranger to the concept. My last two nerdlog performances were birthed by a teenage love of power metal. And that's a relatively benign example compared to the glee with which I collect and enjoy concept art, Europop, and the expository pop-plot segments of hardcore pornography. And generally, I feel I've evolved past the awkward self-conscious guilt I harbored in college about my hobbies. And if I insisted on clearing my own paper jam at FedEx, rather than ask the knowledgeable but pretty attendant to extract a misfired ream of sheets reading strength, dexterity, constitution, (laughs) etc., well, that's just good Protestant work ethic. (laughs) The very fact that I look forward each month to publicly committing my dirty laundry to podcast bespeaks a certain insoluble, untermensch dignity, albeit one steeped in the dissembled egotism of self-deprecation. So when my roommate bashfully confessed over brunch uh, this past weekend that he would watch and enjoy any sitcom, regardless of its format, ingenuity, or overall quality, I was surprised (laughs) to find myself at a loss for rejoinder. For several minutes, I struggled to distill my own viewing habits down to a similarly broad admission, some charming postmodern feather I could pin in my cap to signify our mutual embrace of our delightfully imperfect humanity. (laughs) But for all my contortion... I nonetheless emerged from my own ass (laughs) empty-handed. I could admit to the occasional lapse of taste, sure, I'd once binged through all eight episodes of Joe Schmo over a single Wednesday night, but nothing wide-reaching or categorical. On the whole, though it galled me to my core, my television viewing was that most terrible of things to a fashionably humble exhibitionist such as myself. Discerning. The realization staggered me and I left brunch weighed down not only by Horizon Cafe's signature Greek scramble, but by the looming specter of my own countercultural hypocrisy. Briefly, I considered Netflix as an antidote. Perhaps within the tomes of that vast depository, I could divine some essential rubric for my own fallibility. Alas... Even the ready banquet of meretricious pabulum provided by such new additions as Dog the Bounty Hunter and Street Sharks proved unappetizing. <laughs> in the end, I resigned myself to my fate and swallowed the critically acclaimed hemlock of Breaking Bad season.
3: <laughs>
2: and then, in the night, it came to me. My salvation. A heavenly principality given blood-stained form by Maggie Grace. In some half-remembered dream, she spoke to me, illuminating my weakness. Character death. Of course. <laughs> That single defining feature that transcended genre to bind together so many of my indulgences, from Lost to Oz to Game of Thrones and beyond, pervading my apologetic love affairs of yore, encompassing every medium, King, Crichton, McDonough, from Titus Andronicus on down to the quick and the Dead. Character death. I, Andrew Bentley, will sit through any amount of exposition, any number of dangling plots and hasty retcons, character inconsistencies, and mediocre acting, if there's a good chance, at some point... Some or all of these people will die. (laughs) There are requirements. We must be made to feel these people's deaths. We must know some, ideally, too much of their backstory. For this very reason, I'll never warm to slasher flicks. They provide too little time with the characters to make their departure meaningful. I can't be put upon to feel anything other than boredom when the two stoners in Alien vs. Predator 2 get decapitated five minutes after their introduction. But when a major character gets knifed to death by guest star Joel Grey halfway through season six of Oz, that's good television. (laughs) Episodic TV plants these characters in our lives, waters and nurtures them, and I'll be damned if I don't really just want to see someone tear through the whole garden of the Weed Whacker. I've never even figured out what my ideal show would be. It wouldn't be a show, really, not in the traditional sense. Rather, it would be a production company that buys up the rights to other shows on what would be their final season, and then airs a sort of epilogue where the cast struggles valiantly, but futilely, against their inevitable mortality. (laughs) Gladiatorial combat on site, Contavirus on Grey's Anatomy, Velociraptors on Saved by the Bell, I don't care. (laughs) I would watch every single prior syndicated episode of Moesha just to add the necessary context to Niecy Jackson's bittersweet demise. (laughs) I suppose some people might find my morbid epiphany a touch distasteful. Well, so is the Big Bang Theory, but I don't begrudge his audience their entertainment. Me? I'll keep an eye on those DVDs, just in case Sheldon accidentally breaches reality with a Hadron Collider and dooms humanity to extinction. Because that's just my guilty pleasure, with all the imperviousness our zeitgeist of anticritical irony provides. Different strokes, after all, and maybe the world don't move to the beat of just one drum, but I think everyone loves a sad trombone.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Andrew I was gonna I was gonna uh, raise an objection since last time you talked about Firestorm dying in Identity Crisis but I guess you didn't feel him as a character is that right? you, Ridiculous. you need to be, read more Firestorm <laughs> son <laughs> that's
2: insulting <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the question is he only here
4: because he will see us Mike <laughs> oh. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Alright, so, I'm pretty sure we all have had, like, interesting experiences at stores. Now, I, for three years, worked at an electronic exchange store, which I won't name, but let's just say you made premium purchases there. <laughs> um, I ran some some very interesting people, and I want to tell you about a few of them. So, one day, I was working in the MP3 department, and this guy comes over, he's wearing, like, this velour tracksuit. Tank top, slick back hair. It's alright guy, we're talking. He's like asked me about MP3 players and stuff. And then I noticed one thing about him. There's his mole on his neck. With two extraordinarily long hairs sticking out of his face. <laughs> They had to be at least a foot and a half long. So it became a conversation between me and his mole. And I just had to watch the thing so I because he would like turn and it would like float out. And I'm like, do not touch me with that shit <laughs> And and I I I just had to try to maneuver around his hair as he talked and I talked to him about iPods and stuff and it long story short, eventually he left but I was just I broke the fuck out about that long ass hair of his it was in my face the whole time. And another one, there was this girl and her mom and they were talking about iPods again. And her mom goes, so how does the iPad work? And she says in the most unbelievably ghetto thing, she goes, you put the iPad in the computer and put in the suck the music out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and see the thing about like, essentially she's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of set that dumbfounded because I'm like yeah that, shit <laughs> that, That's yeah that's it I mean that's about all I can really say about that <laughs> third there was this guy I was over in the music department this time and he was this Spanish guy had a really thick accent and he came up and he's like excuse me do you have the music for the couldn't catch what he was saying. It happened two more times. The fourth time he says, he's like, do you have the music for the uh, the, the strippers? And I'm, I'm like, like, huh? Because I, you know, obviously you didn't say that. But he's like, the strippers, you know the strippers? I'm like, yeah, you do. I, I know strippers, okay? Yeah, I know strippers. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, you looking for like something fast or something slow? And he's like, something fast, something fast. I'm like, okay, uh, you probably want to check out the R&B stuff. Then I stop and I think. What if he's a stripper? What if I'm that guy who's telling a guy to get music to get naked to? I kind of stopped there. I'm like, I'm, I'm not helping out anymore because I don't want this guy to be like, yeah, that dude told me the right stuff to shake my wang to. <laughs> there was this one time I was over in the video game department and there's this like guy who comes in. He has a kind of a stuttering issue, but I talk to him all the time. He's a really cool guy. But there was just this one time that I just could not handle it. We were talking, and he was talking about Devil May Cry 4 and how cool of a game it was. And we're talking, and he goes, right in the middle of a sentence, he goes, whoa. And I see my face, I feel my face just, my eyes just like bugging out like, I gotta hold it together. I cannot laugh in his face. I cannot do it. I can't do it. And I just like... I told I, I was like, oh, I gotta go. It's like I need to go to the other side of the store like right now, and I just <laughs> kind of ran away.
3: <laughs> no.
4: So, like last random thing, I was at work once and I was feeling really bad, and I'm like this is gonna be a really shitty day at work. And I walk up to the front of the store and there's a major on the shopping cart, like on the front. And he's like surfing. And he just hops off right in front of me, just looking I'm like, fuck yeah, this is a good day <laughs> now. <laughs>
0: Okay, alright, you know what, I have a story along those lines, so I'll go ahead and tell one. I do do want to say, (laughs) I do want to say, I went into the store Mike works at once, I won't say the name either, but uh, this was the day that a new Bruce Springsteen album came out. You guys know how I feel about Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) They didn't have it out on the racks, and I asked the girl in the music department if they had the new Bruce Springsteen album, and she looks at me and she goes, who is that? (laughs) have fired her ass immediately and made it so she could never work again in anything relating to pop culture. That blows my fucking mind. Like, okay, I'm not so ignorant as to think that everyone should know the things I like, but if you sell music for a living and you've never heard of Bruce Springsteen, you fail at everything. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I mentioned earlier I used to own a shop. It was a comic book shop. Uh, I was going to tell this at Challengers, but we just didn't have time. So I've kind of put together uh, a story about my favorite, in quotes, customers as well. Uh, And running the shop, I found that there tended to be an inverse relationship between the amount of merchandise the customer bought and how annoying I found them. And it wasn't like... The two weren't necessarily related. It was just that the people that you wanted to hang out with were the ones who would come in, and they had something to do, but they would stop in, get their books, say a few things, and then leave. And you'd be like, oh, that guy's cool. I'd, I'd hang out with him. But the people who have nothing going on, that come in and <laughs> spend five hours there, and don't buy a thing, and aren't really super good at conversation, just start to wear on you after a while. And like some of them I, I felt bad for, and like I understand you, know, you need a social outlet. But some of them push just a little too far, and you really have to set your boundaries. So I'm going to tell you about three of the... Boundary-setting people. (laughs) Uh, So this first guy, I don't know his name, but I'm going to call him Logan because he's named after an obsession with uh, what I assume is either his favorite or his least favorite movie of all time. (laughs) He would come in sporadically throughout the time we owned the shop. Like, the first time we met him was like our second day too, which this was a real bad introduction to the comic book business. And he never bought anything, ever, in the four and a half years we were there. But he would come in and get this real intense look in his eyes, and he would go... Do you guys have the Logan's Run adaptation from Marvel Comics? And the first time he came in, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that. Let me get it for you." I thought, "Cool, this is an easy sale." And he he takes it out, and you know, it's in a bag and board. And he opens it, and he like he turns to a certain page, and like he points at something in there, and he's like, "I had a dream about this last night." Thank you, and he hands it to me, (laughs) and then he leaves. (laughs) He did that. He did that like four or five times, and at the third time on. We just told him we didn't have it anymore. No one ever bought the comic, but I, I, didn't care to, I didn't care to hear about his dreams any longer. I eventually, like, a few years after this first happened, I saw him working at the local Red Lobster as a busboy. And uh, that was very strange to see him in that environment and not in an environment where he was weirding me the fuck out. Um, so that, that's my friend Logan. Uh, number two, we're going to call Sweatshorts, for obvious because he, he always looked like he was in the middle of doing laundry. But, which is fine, except there weren't any laundromats really nearby. Like, there was one a mile away, but I could tell by his physique, he wasn't walking a mile away. <laughs> Certainly not with baskets of clothes. Listen, okay, and I know how I look, but trust me, this guy wasn't walking anywhere. And he didn't even have pockets on his sweatshirt <laughs> to pay for the laundry? But he, he was a customer who, like, he felt that he had to test my knowledge, which we had a lot of those. But most of them, like, if you pass the test, they would buy something. He never bought anything. He would just come in and, like, quiz me. And one day, he decided to bring up the original Spider-Man Clone Saga, which, if you guys didn't know, there was one before the one in the 90s. I didn't either. But he decided to educate me. And so, he, I'm, I'm sitting there. This is right around the time Spider-Man 3 came out. And he goes, oh, so ha- you've read the original Clone Saga, right? And I'm like, no, I, I didn't know about it. And he gets indignant. And he goes, oh, well, bring me Amazing Spider-Man 48 through 52. No, those are relatively, like, n- rare issues, and we're kind of a small store, so I check, and we have, like, two of them, but we don't have the crucial one he wants, which is, like, 50, I think. And he's like, you, what kind of store doesn't have Amazing Spider-Man 48 through 52? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. We either sold them or we never had them. Like, I don't think it's that hard to believe. And he looks at me, and he goes... Well, I'm sorry I ruined your day. And he storms out. <laughs> End of conversation. I saw him a couple other times, but that, that was the last time we ever really talked. And I, can't, I can say I don't really miss sweatshorts. Last guy, I'm going to call him Astro. I know this guy's real name, but I prefer the name Astro because he was always sky high. Like stoned out of his fucking mind all the time. Uh, And the things he said to me were amazing, like, they kind of made me feel like I was on drugs, just listening to this guy. (laughs) He told me once that if you play Dungeons & Dragons right, you will start to live it. Like, the things (laughs) that that I described to you will appear in front of you as though they are real, and he told me about this campaign he had that started in his buddy's basement, and they ended up wandering around town, living it as though it was a Dungeons & Dragons world. This is, this is real, like, this is dangerous shit. Like, I, I feared for his, his friends in his city. But bar none, the best conversation we ever had was one day he starts talking to me about old sitcoms, Andrew, and he brings up The Wonder Years. And he asked me if I'd ever seen the last episode of The Wonder Years. Now, I, I didn't think that I had, but I said, oh, I don't know, maybe. And he goes, oh, I watched it last night. And then he tells me the plot of it, which he says, and this this is not bullshit. He goes... The government comes to abduct <laughs> Kevin Arnold because he's lived up to his potential too much and he's too dangerous to live. This is what he tells me about <laughs> on the series finale of Wonder Years. So I'm behind my computer. I go to Wikipedia and look it up. And that's not at all even fucking close. Not even close. And he's like, yeah, his dad fights for him in prison and gets like a, he gets into a fight with the prison guard and ends up all bloody. I just play along and he eventually leaves. I tell my business partner about this like a week later. And he goes, I don't know where the potential shit came from. Like, that's probably an invention of that dude's mind. But the government abduction part is from the series finale of ALF. <laughs> <laughs> he merged these shows together. And I, I feel like I really want to live in that guy's world. Like, what else is his brain because that's, that's really fucking amazing. And I kind of, I, I got to tell you, I kind of miss Astro, but not enough, because we're actually Facebook buddies. And sometimes he'll drop me a message and be like, hey, man, we should hang out. I'm like, yeah, we should. And then that's the end of that. So I, I don't know. Maybe I should just bite the bullet on that one and then report to you what he says next
3: time. But
0: uh, yeah, th- those are my, my favorite crazy customers.
3: Yay! <laughs>
5: Um, That might
0: uh, That would be something (laughs) I'd have to drive him up here I don't think he's allowed to drive (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alright we got one more story I think does anyone else want to go Before Uh, we close it
5: You actually kind of rattled one loose
0: there Yeah Yeah! John Lester Um, Alright so Last time at Challengers Ed came up And I said he was a lawyer And a lot of people booed If I say John is a forensic accountant Are we going to (laughs) Boo <laughs> so actually,
5: that's that's relevant to my story. So I actually have a new job where um, I'm an auditor for uh, an international company. So uh, I, yeah, hey, I'm an auditor. Okay. So it it gives me um, the ability to travel for free, basically. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs>
1: you
3: stretch this one out. Anyway,
5: um, so but I travel with other auditors, obviously, and. Um, Among auditors, nerdiness is not a common trait. Um, If any of you had any business major friends, you know, I was an accounting major, you may know that a lot of them were in fraternities, the social fraternities and social sororities, which nothing is wrong with that, except many of them fit the worst stereotypes you can possibly think of, like ogre yelling nerds in nerds. Like, it's kind of close to that sometimes. But I travel with these people exclusively, and I leave for about a month uh, at a time, so I was just in the Ukraine for a month. And I came up with the five nerdy things that I said there that got me, uh, I'll go in increasing order of blank stares and looks of disapproval that I got. <laughs> <laughs> so number five was, um, the fifth element. So this is pretty mainstream, but I got some pretty blank looks on this. So we were in a club where women may take off their clothes for money. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have no interest in this, um, but you know, my coworkers did and it was late and whatever. So I decided to go and keep an eye on that. Um, but there uh, if you may know, I don't know the name of the uh, actress from the fifth element who plays Lelou.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
5: She is Ukrainian. Uh, things I learned. Um, and a stripper came out who looked a lot like her and was dressed in the the orange like torn away jumpsuit thing. And I went crazy because I was like, Oh that's fucking awesome! I'm like, that is awesome, you guys, she's dressed like Lelou, and they all just kinda stared at me. I went the fifth element? I think I've heard of that before. I was like, it's a major blockbuster with Bruce Willis. I'm like, come on, give me some credit here. So that one got me a pretty, like, look. Um, but that one was more socially acceptable because we were in a strip club at 2 a.m. So I felt like they were more distracted by everything else to kind of hone in on that one. Um, number four was Star Wars. Um, we were discussing the Star Wars movies. And I may have, I jokingly said, I don't recognize the first three movies, like the new movies. But I said in a very serious way. Just, <laughs> I know, controversial. Um, but they all looked at me, they're like, dude, you're really serious about Star Wars. I was like, I'm just joking, they're like, are, are you, do you, like, follow, watch them all the time? Like, are do you just watch them all straight through? Do you, like, dress up like characters from Star Wars? And they said in a way that it's, like, very scandalous if I would do this. And I said no, but I was kind of taken aback by how, uh, by how critical they were of that. Uh, number three was anime. Um... So discussing um, a Miyazaki film. So I was you know, talking about uh, Nausicaä and the Valley of the Wind and you know, like its, its relevance to uh, environmentalism and that sort of thing. And I didn't realize until I was about five minutes into this monologue, which I realized <laughs> I was having, um, that I realized the stares I was getting and the, uh, again, questions of, do you go to Comic-Con's? <laughs> Do you dress up like these people? and I'm, No, but I mean, what's wrong with that? I'm like, have you gone to a Comic-Con? People are awesome when they dress up like that.
3: <laughs>
5: so, um, number two was, um, Pokemon. Uh, so, um, my, my lovely husband posted on my wall, because I was gone on Valentine's Day, so uh, posted, uh, um, Valentine on my wall that is, uh, it's a picture of a Pokeball, and it says, um, you've captured my heart, or right. right. I captured your heart, your heart has been transferred to Bill's PC. <laughs> I loved it, it was great. And so I wanted to show them that, and I wanted to show my coworkers, and they go, is that a Pokemon reference? Yeah. Why do you know anything about Pokemon? They're like, aren't you kind of old for Pokemon? And I'm like, well, I was, what, like 10 when it came to the US? And I'm like, is that really a big a deal? They're like, Oh, we didn't do Pokemon. It's like, only <laughs> the nerds. It, so. Yeah, they recognize it because it's very ubiquitous in our culture, I think, uh, if you're especially of our age. But the looks I got for being an adult gamer, uh, <laughs> that was pretty brutal. And number one, and the reason I was reminded of the story was what Eric just said, was I made a Logan's Run joke. And somebody was, had their 29th birthday, and I may have started making jokes about Life Day and renewing, and then I had to explain what Logan's Run was. Then I had to explain why I've seen it and why it's important to them, and I think they wanted to stop talking to me after that, because it was pretty brutal. So I guess my point is, um, my entire life I've grown up with lots of nerdy friends, I've always had nerdy friends around me in uh, college and you know, post-college, I've never really felt I mean, I've known I was a nerd and I like nerdy things, but never really felt like a nerd until I was in that situation where I really got a lot of disapproving and like very critical looks for saying that I like these things. And so, A, that's why it makes me appreciate my friends um, and my family a lot more for um, wanting to discuss these things. And it also um, makes me realize that I feel like nerds are a lot more open to things and uh, when you like other things, they're not critical about it. They want to ask you questions about it and m- because maybe they like it too if they gave it a chance. So I just uh, want to say I think uh, it's pretty cool. So, thank you.
0: I-, I feel like Fifth Element, Logan's Run, and Star Wars should all have entered culture to the degree that you don't get weird stares for that. I agree, I don't know. but it
5: was some of the looks I like, got, uh, yeah. I
0: thought I
1: got you didn't know her name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Oh but, you know,
0: I do remember, though, in fourth grade, I remember being made fun of for watching Power Rangers, and I look back now, and it's like, that's when you're supposed to. Like, the cool kids want you to grow up so fast when you're in grade school, but, like, why? You know? And now it's, like, cool to ironically watch Power Rangers, or at least it's not uncool, I guess, depending, unless you have auditor friends. Bring we'll them, them next them time, them. John. See, see how they like it. Oh. We'll <laughs> give them sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like this one time, I was super popular. <laughs> um, we joked about having like a bro stories night where we just talking characters of cool kids. <laughs>
1: That was Kevin's idea, right? Uh, I think it was
0: um, Tim and Kevin's. Yeah, Tim and Kevin's. Like, we should so totally bad. do that. That's <laughs> terrible. Anyway. I, think that's I, I, I. good, bro.
6: Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> totally, <I'm> bro. bro. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, let fun. me let me just get some Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get this going. Um, I think we just have one more. Can I convince anyone else to come up? I might. Yeah, yeah.
4: let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't
0: know your name,
7: Ruchi, come on Ruchi. Thank you so much for sharing. Hi, guys. Hello. i and I'm a nerd. Um, so, this story is about my first sexual experience. Sort of. Sort of. Um, I am Indian, and this means that my parents taught me two things. Um. Two very important things. They're fundamental Indian values that every Indian girl has been taught growing up. Most of them. There's a couple liberal Indians that teach them other things. But um, number one of these two things is that interacting with boys will cause horrible things to happen. Um, God will unleash the full force of his fury on you. You'll get pregnant. Nobody will talk to you for the rest of your life. You know, that sort of thing.
3: Number two is
7: that, um, as an Indian, you will one day go to medical school and become a doctor.
1: Also true. That's true.
7: (laughs) So, um, growing up, I was pretty awkward. I'm still pretty awkward, but I feel like it's embraced a little bit more now. But, you know, when I was younger, I was not good with the boys, I guess. (laughs) Um... I sort of had a creepy lurker phase where the boys that I would like, I would follow them around and memorize their class schedules and, um, you know, (laughs) miraculously appear in hallways where they'd be walking um, between classes, that sort of thing. Needless to say, I didn't do too well romantically in high school. Um, It wasn't until later that I was somewhat functional in relationships, so... Flash forward to medical school. My first semester, <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, so uh, it was my first semester of medical school, and I was taking an anatomy class, and of course, um, I had to dissect a human cadaver. And we were studying the the leg, and we had like whole bodies that we would cut up, and then we would also have like just legs floating around, and it was. It was a small medical school, so we didn't have a lot of legs. Sounds so creepy. (laughs) So we had, like, four or five, and we we had worked with them for a while, so we knew very well their specific characteristics. You know, one leg you could see, like, the quads really well on, and another one the foot was great on, whatever. Um... (laughs) There was one leg where the muscle, it's called the gracilis, it's like on the inside of your leg. We called it the anti wreath muscle. (laughs) Um, It was sort of, it was like detached. It wasn't connected. It connects at the knee, so it wasn't connected at the knee. So it was just flapping around. So I go up to what I thought was that leg, and um, I had to identify that muscle. And the leg was flipped upside down for some reason. So I reach under it to grab the muscle, and I, I grab hold of it, And it felt unnaturally short, so I pulled it up and flipped the leg around, and I did not in fact grab a muscle. I grabbed half of a penis, (laughs) and this was um, first semester of med school. Again, the first time I had ever touched a male penis. So, yeah, that was fun. That's that's my first sexual encounter.
0: I think we're going to close it out with one more story and uh, then me and Dwight are going to take it home. So Sean
8: Boyle, everybody. I have a proposal for Andrew. Okay. Start a fan fiction blog where you properly end our beloved TV series.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I will read all of
8: those. Instant fan. Um... Uh, I write a blog called (laughs) LessonsForAvery.com. Basically, I provide life lessons to my hypothetical, genderless child, Avery. And I have a funny aside before I get to my story about this story. Last month, I did a really short... I I usually write... I try to write short. If something takes more than five minutes to read, I think I'm not done editing. That's just the way I like to write So, but last month's was pretty dark and grim People responded to it, I'm proud of it But I'm glad I read it in the middle Because people like Steve and some other, some other readers Had some really fun, lighthearted, enjoyable stuff That brings the mood back So I was thinking about my dark writing And I was realizing that uh, I'm proud of it But it was easy to write it was really easy to write. I carry these dark memories around like a laundry list of, of pride. Like I'm that guy that, that posts photos of his surgery on Facebook. Like that's how badass I am. <laughs> so I wanted to try to write a happy story of my childhood. And I did. And it was long. And it, it was hard. Hard to write. But it was one of the longest things I've written. So instead of it being five minutes, it's ten minutes. So I messaged Eric just to say like, hey, this is a little bit longer than my typical stuff, so just a heads up, you know. I says fine, I'll put you last. And that meant a lot to me. And I mean now I didn't tell him it was a happy story or anything. But I'm so glad I can tell you guys something happy before we leave tonight. <laughs> Why well, not
0: You're gonna bring it down, though. We have some really depressing. stuff.
8: as long as it's not my fault, I will you happy. <laughs> this, this this is my story. It's about me. So we have the spotlight. All right. So this story is called Camp Unknown. Hello, Avery. I love sharing stories about my childhood with you and all too often I can only recall the darker and tragic fare of my past. I wonder if certain moments of an untarnished joy are like the rare diamonds of memories shaped by the miles of earth hiding it from sight. Thankfully, I have discovered one of these rare historical gems of my past, and the more I contemplate its meaning, the more I can see how it has influenced every good decision that I have ever made. I was 13 years old and on my way to my first and only summer camp. So far, far away from home and every familiar face I had ever known, this is the story of Camp Unknown. Camp was an immediate contrast to my everyday life. I had been living in a household that had a kitchen filled with delicious snacks, sodas, and frozen pizzas. I was accustomed to eating at will and with king-esque proportions. (laughs) At camp, there was no food or sugary beverages. Excuse me. or sugary beverages available outside of the cafeteria's three-meal schedule. I could no longer wash down a jumbo bag of chips with a Thulier Mountain Dew and call that dinner. <laughs> this change taught me the difference between wants and needs. Avery, let me be clear. A liter Mountain Dew is not something you need. The best part of this dietary shock was discovering a new love and a thing they called water... There was this one special water fountain right outside of my cabin, and I would close my eyes, lean in close, purse my lips, and let it bestow my thirst with a blissful, brain-freezing, hydrating love. I've never tasted a better fluid to this day. First loves never die. (laughs) The next important discovery made at camp was in the form of a new social challenge. The simplicity of my childhood friendships was being eroded by the winds, of popularity and puberty. This change of social climate presented a threatening possibility that all my friendships could easily go extinct. Camp was starkly different. You were a stranger among strangers, being offered an opportunity to be a genuine character with a fresh start. It was simple. Everybody was a friend by default, and there was no incentive to be an enemy. The strange part of the social setting is, I really can't remember most of these people they became this fog of faceless, friendly equals. So I may not remember their names or recognize, them, recognize any of them if I saw them today, but I learned more about socializing from these nameless memories than any of my past or current local best mates. So two of these strangers stood out above the rest, and they will never be forgotten. One came from a five-minute conversation with my, with my cabin leader. He was probably in his early 20s and had a general purpose, duty, just to break up fistfights, tell us we're not evil for masturbating. (laughs) Not a bad message, but pretty weird. (laughs) And most importantly, he had to make sure nobody dies or gets molested. I never had any one-on-one interaction with him until this one special day called the Hobby Fair. All the leaders were to present a hobby of their choice and we were supposed to pick something we had never tried before. Every table had a long line of kids figuring out what activity to try, except one. And I saw my cabin counselor sitting there beneath a sign, Bible study. I thought, why would anybody choose to study the Bible? As a 13-year-old, I sincerely didn't know that people chose religion as a fun way to spend their time. <laughs> I was raised in a Catholic family, and I had been treating my, my birth faith like a chore. So I summoned the courage to approach him with my curiosity. I asked, why would you want to do this on a Saturday? He said, I enjoy studying the Bible. It makes me happy. I replied, has anybody signed up? He calmly states, none yet. I asked, what will you do if nobody does? He smiled warmly and responded, I will enjoy my Bible alone. From this conversation, a controversial question stuck to the back of my mind. Was he happy because he believed in a God? Or was he happy because he believed in his own choices? The answer to this question seemed so clear and implied for him, and very much the opposite for myself. This moment became one important piece of finding the faith in my own choices. With his inspired conviction, I firmly believe in my choice to sign up for soccer. That <laughs> <laughs> was a long setup, but.
3: Well,
8: glad you done the second, the second memorable person was the evident poor kid. He wore a large stained t-shirt that had this huge clown face on it. (laughs) Frightening. At night, our cabin would host these playful wrestling matches. And this kid would physically dominate everyone he faced. And he would even celebrate each victory with a frightening impersonation of King Kong. And they were scarier if the clown shirt was off. (laughs) Later that week, the campground finally opened the pool. You had to take a swimming test to receive a special wristband that permits you to swim in the deep end. I passed this easily and spent all my pool hours jumping off the diving board and playing a game of deep water treasure hunt. The rules were, you had to challenge someone to collect the most sunken objects from the bottom of the pool with, with just a single breath. And just as my clown-shirted friend did in the wrestling ring, I dominated every challenger that dared to try. <laughs> One day, I saw my friend walking up to the diving board. He was wearing the proper wristband, and of course, he swims in his horrible clown shirt. He carefully shuffles to the end of the board, he pinches his nose, and he closes his eyes, and leaps forward into the water. In theory, he was going to use the bottom and push himself towards the ladder. In reality, I can guess his feet didn't reach the bottom, and then he didn't know how to swim. I waited, in a single moment of panic, wondering, how can a person not know how to swim? And when is an adult going to save him? (laughs) After that never-ending second of panic, I took action. I dove in headfirst, grabbed him by his gigantic thighs, and I used all my leg kicking strength to push him up and over to the ledge of the pool. By then, a crowd gathered, and thankfully, they pulled him up over the ledge and got him out of the pool. He coughed up a half gallon of pool water and managed to make a small joke of all this by saying, I knew I could do it. (laughs) Through the culmination of these different events, I had discovered a belief system within myself. For the first time ever, I grasped a new notion That personal worth wasn't attained through popularity, faith, status, intelligence, or wealth. It was exclusively defined by the value of your actions within the scope of your opportunities. Now, this camp was not for normal kids. I was sent there because I was labeled an emotionally troubled youth. There were some obvious red flags that made it easy to pick me out of the crowd. But looking back, as an adult, I would like to think there was a teacher or social worker that heard some sort of cry for help. Whatever the motives for me may have been, it proves an all-important lesson that no matter where, when, or why, we all have a responsibility to share, care, and act because every human being deserves an opportunity to be more than just another sad story. Just uh, a quick plug on uh, com. I've started two short-form series, one called Role Models for Avery. I did one on Louis C.K. And then the other one is called <laughs> awkward, awkward Parenting. Just my own memories of awkward moments with my parents. And the first one just went live tonight. And it's about taking my mom to see Chasing Amy when I was 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a little homophobic mother, too. extra oh, dose of it. So thank you. Yeah, Sean.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is this is a song parody uh, <laughs> that that I wrote um, uh, about a year ago, and it's it's not exactly about nerd culture. Uh, it's about another subculture, and I will try to remember the lyrics as I play it. <laughs> it will be great, buddy. Thanks for the confidence. Oh, okay. All right.
8: it
3: with I will try. song.
6: Living on cornflakes. Oh, how my soul aches. This hipster living is just constant toil. With my fling, she just moved to Beijing. Smell the near-empty fridge, everything spoiled. Wasted away, wasted away again in Blue Ribbon Belt <laughs> Searching. my job Got a trust fund with Chuck Schwab Uh, uh, Everything's lame and that's why I roam Starting on the next bender Dressed in hobo chic splendor In misery I am alone